You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you may be listening. Uh, thanks for joining me, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by um, Ryan Knoll, and Ryan is the owner of Knoll Automation. And <clears throat> Ryan and I, um, for for me anyway, kind of get to take a, a bit of a trip down memory lane. Um, the, the work that Knoll Automation and Ryan does um, deals kind of directly in... Uh, the manufacturing world. Um, so he is a, a machine builder and an electrician, uh, building you know panels, wiring machines, uh, things of that nature. And this was something that uh, I was uh, involved in uh, in a past career. Um, so him and I get to kind of talk about that. And I I wasn't really expecting to kind of go down the rabbit hole that we did uh, with uh, that particular um, part of the conversation, but it was certainly enjoyable and. 
learning about Ryan and the the path uh, that he took to get him to where he's at now with starting his own business uh, and then really you know, taking that one step further and how Ryan decided to um, have his business become 2% certified. Um, Ryan didn't grow up uh, necessarily uh, in a hunting family, uh, but picked it up uh, in high school um, when a lot of his friends were doing it as well. And then once he kind of got out of high school and got into the workforce, um, you know, kind of cannonballed into it, uh, has re- recently branched out into some more Western hunting. And like a lot of the guests and a lot of the companies um, has kind of become just this passion, not only for hunting itself, but for the conservation side of things. And he gets to tell a cool story about a bear hunt that he went on um, a little while ago, uh, last year, maybe the year before, and how that kind of sparked um, this this interest in, in bears in particular. And then you know, uh, the Western Bear Foundation, an organization that Noel Automation is giving back to, and it's allowing him to, um, you know, learn more about the bear species and, you know, just kind of allows him to, to gain more knowledge in, in ways that he can help um, with the, the bear species and, and population. So it was a really fun conversation with Ryan um, post uh, when we got done recording him and I actually got to talk for probably another 20 minutes, half hour. Uh, and just one of those guys that um, you just really enjoy talking to. And, you know, after talking to him for a few minutes, you kind of feel like you've known him your whole life. So really cool. Uh, episode 56, Ryan Knoll. Enjoy. All right. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, the owner of 2% Certified Knoll Automation, Ryan Knoll. Ryan, how are you today, man? Good. Enjoying the weather. How are you doing, Marcus? I'm doing well. Thanks. I uh I actually, I know we had spoken a little bit last week um, about trying to set up a time, and then the one that I had scheduled for this week fell through, like it kind of like the twenty fifth hour, twenty third hour, however that saying goes. Um, so I, I shot you a message this afternoon. I was like, "Hey, do you think you can you think you can uh, record something tonight?" And you were like, "Yeah, absolutely." So no, I'm I'm glad that we could make this work, uh, and I'm excited to hear more about your company. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, Noel Automation, give me give me the inside scoop on that. So Noel Automation, Noel is my last name, and I have been in the automation field for just over eight years. Um, I started at a shop just around the corner from my high school uh, right after I graduated and worked there just kind of doing shop maintenance and, you know, fixing machines and learning about the machining and stuff like that that they did there. Um did that through summer, and then I got into an apprenticeship program, got my journeyman's card as a machine builder, and actually had done mostly electrical work for them, so building control panels and doing the machine wiring and stuff like that um, from the very beginning to tearing it down, installing at the customer and running off and some troubleshooting and all that. Um, And then I decided to leave and go out on my own in September of 2020 and it's been busy ever since. I have been very blessed with that so far. No, that's awesome. Um, especially, you know, thinking back to, oh gosh, that's what, 10 months ago, nine months ago, somewhere in that range. Um, and a lot of things were still, um, kind of, you know, locked down, shut down, but it also feels like that may have been the time that I feel like the manufacturing had kind of started to pick back up. Is that, is that kind of how you saw it or, you know, with your, 
in your time, you know, before you branched out on your own, were you guys at the shop you were at, were you guys staying pretty busy all the time? I feel like a lot of people in manufacturing then were going through struggles last year, whether there was, you know, employees, you know, being laid off for a shortage of work because of a shortage of materials. And it was just kind of a big snowball effect, you know, whatever was affecting you, every company got affected by it. Um, we were doing pretty good last year for the most part at my previous employer. We had stayed fairly busy through everything. Um, we had some contracts for some jobs that were able to keep us up and running during some of the shutdowns and all that that were considered essential. So I was able to stay busy through all that. And then kind of when people started coming back, you know, more full force is uh, when we started slowing down a little bit. And I actually took a job at a different company and then ended up starting my own business before I left my previous employer. So it was kind of a push. And then somebody else gave me a push at my last shop and here I am. So why do you think it was that, um, you know, your the, the shop that you had left and went to, why do you think it was that he kind of, you know, pushed you and kind of motivated you to, you know, take that step to, to start your, your own company? Did he just see, you know, you know, how well you did your job or thought you would be good at it? I mean, how, how did that kind of work? He, so, uh, he had always been, you know, more than just a boss to me. You know, I'd know him or got to know him personally as well outside of work. Um, so I spent some time, some of my free time up at the Silver Lake sand dunes in the summer. And he is also a big, a big, uh, fan of going out on the dunes with his buggy and some side by sides and stuff. So, I got to know him pretty well through through that as well as working for him and we just kind of had bonded and I think he just wanted what was you know he thought maybe better for me at the time and he saw you know himself as a successful businessman and he saw maybe that I had the work ethic and the drive to do it so he wanted to, to push me into you know maybe my version of that what could be that someday yeah see those are the kind of of employers that there needs to be more of ones that are looking out for you know not only the best interest of their company but for the best interest of their employees right and if they see an opportunity where an employee could you know better their better their professional career you know possibly personally uh, from a financial standpoint with with branching out on your own i mean those are the kind of people that you want to work for right and then those um, I feel like are the kind of employers that, you know, employees go the extra mile for right there. They're the ones that don't, you know, their employer, the boss doesn't have to ask their employees to work late or to put in some overtime because they know that he's there doing it. And, you know, they know that he's not going to ask his employees to do something that he either hasn't already done or wouldn't do himself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it was just everything I needed. You know, the, the push that he gave me was a big part of the you know success that I've had since I started and it kind of caught me off guard when he had suggested that you know you're leaving a business and I you know I was going to a competing business of of theirs and then he comes out with you know with that saying hey why don't you start your own business so that you know it really caught me off guard but I'm you know I'm I'm glad he gave me that push yeah so what did that process look like for you then once you made the decision to to branch out and start Noel Automation? I mean, how how did it, what did it take to get set up, uh, you know, all that stuff? Well, I had another side job going that I would, you know, go work a few hours at night, a couple days a week, 
in addition to my full-time job while before I had before I decided to leave. So I had them as a customer right from the get-go, and then the place that I left, I also had them as a customer. So I had you know some people lined up for work and everything, and I reached out to a lot of people. But I had always told myself that if I was going to go out and start my own business, that I would always you know be working more hours for the side job than I would be for my full-time job before I could justify leaving a steady full-time job. Right. And I definitely did not have that going for myself. It was just kind of a jump in head first and we'll see how it goes type of deal. And when I left, so I left on a, say a Thursday or whatever. And that Friday I headed up to the UP for a bear hunt for the whole next week. So it's not like I was able to leave my job and then get going right after all the, you know, legal setup of the business and everything like that. It was, uh, yeah, head up, head up north to the UP for a bear hunt and try to keep it in the back of my mind and worry about it when I got home, which was easier said than done. But oh yeah, yeah, it was uh, it, it was a good thing to take a little break like that too. Yeah, no, and for the listeners and the the, the regular listeners of the podcast have probably heard me mention um, like a previous job, a previous line of work that I've had. I mean, I've kind of bounced all over the, the workforce in terms of different careers um, since kind of entering the workforce. But my most recent job prior to starting the average conservationist in the podcast and everything was actually with um, an automotive um, manufacturer. We designed, built, and engineered uh, assembly lines. Um, so, you know, guys with, with your skill set, you know, I worked with on a daily basis. Um, so when I was, you know, looking at your website today and, and just kind of getting a feel for your company, and started reading i was like man like ryan does all like all of this stuff and i know like it, it i know exactly the type of work that you're doing and to me what's super impressive is not only are you um a journeyman machine builder but also being an electrician because at, at my previous job we kind of had our builders and we had our electricians i mean we had some guys um who were very skilled builders and also had uh, you know, enough um, knowledge of the electrical side of things that they could maybe help troubleshoot and stuff like that. But there is definitely um, an art to building a panel, uh, to dressing the panel out, and then to wiring the machines and everything like that. So, no, that's that's a very impressive skill set, man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So, <clears throat> you got started out of high school and then got uh, an apprenticeship. I mean, was that kind of always the goal or is it just one of those things that, you know, you got a summer job after you graduated high school and then just really enjoyed it? Um, or was it just kind of one of those opportunities that was too good to pass up? Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I had plans of doing something else with my life. I did. And when I was in high school, I did, uh, two years of the diesel and equipment program, like through the tech center. So I did that part-time and okay. went to regular high school part-time. Um, and I was fully planning on pursuing that. And then just one day, it, it was almost like an epiphany. It was just, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I need to find <laughs> something else. So might have freaked my parents out a little bit because I had a good plan and everything like that for after high school. But you know, I'd, uh, I had a couple friends that had worked at this shop that I previously worked at um, when we were in high school. And I just kind of liked what they always said about the place. So I thought I'd go check it out and... Yeah, like you said, it kind of turned into a summer job because I was already signed up for, you know, college courses for that next fall. 
and I ended up just really liking it, you know, working with my hands, building stuff, and it was really an industry I knew nothing about. Yeah. So, I mean, you go from not even knowing what a socket head cap screw is or a Bridgeport mill or anything like that to doing what I'm doing now. So there was definitely a lot to learn in those uh, in those first few years, that's for sure. Yeah, so it... I... I feel like I was I've, I was kind of in the same boat. So um, the business I worked for, um, my wife's parents owned, and there was uh, a shortage, or someone had left the company that was kind of a front facing, um, in a front facing position. So they dealt with the customers a lot, a lot of interaction, a lot of like management, uh, at least internally. Uh, and where I was working, the jobs I'd worked prior to that was that was kind of right up my alley. Right, I, I did a lot of customer relations. Um, a lot of, you know, interactions with customers. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, I said, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe I should come to work there. You know, I, I, I have this type of experience, but I knew jack shit about what went into engineering, machining, building. Like I didn't know anything about that yeah. stuff and it's kind of trial by fire. Right. I mean, you just got to learn it. You got to ask a lot of questions. You got to surround yourself with people who know more and that are smarter than you and just try and soak it all in, you know? Yeah, it's not hard to find people like that in the uh, manufacturing industry. That's for sure. There's a lot of a lot of very, very smart people out there that, in, at least in my experience, are almost always willing to teach you. If you're if you're if you have a good work work ethic and you're willing to learn, you will have no trouble finding somebody that is willing to teach you. Yeah, no, that's a very good point because we had a lot of guys like that uh, at our shop, uh, and yeah, like they even if you weren't like eliciting information or trying to ask them questions, like they they wanted to tell you though, you know, they wanted to whether it was you know trying to maybe show off what they knew, which I don't really I don't really feel like that's kind of the mentality, especially in the manufacturing world. But the, yeah, they just they want to help, right? They want to you know try to pass that knowledge along, especially they knew how green I was. So, yeah, they were offering me all sorts of information, um, you know, walking me through why they're doing what they're doing and when they're doing it. I mean, I didn't know I had never even heard the word micron before I started, you know, working <laughs> yeah. in that industry. And now it's, you know, like I could tell you what it is. You know, it's just it's funny the, the types of things that you learn and then kind of how you can apply that to really everything else um, that you do, whether it's home improvement projects, a new career path, you know, whatever the case is. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, definitely teaches you a new skill set that you can take into the rest of your life. And, you know, whether you're building like my latest project I'm working on right now is building a deer blind for my property. So, you know, maybe some of my real anal tendencies that I had when I was building machines uh, at my last place that kind of trickles into this and isn't really necessary for building a deer blind. (laughs) But, uh, hey, I guess it happens. Yeah, I've never met a machine builder who was not uh, anal retentive to some degree, and everything, excuse me, had to be, uh, yeah, absolutely perfect. So, no, I can imagine that that will be a very nice deer blind when all is said and done. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) So, what type of, you kind of touched on it, but what types of companies um, are you you working with, are you um, servicing? So, I have a couple different industries that I serve. Obviously, I left. A uh, company that was supplying, you know, mostly automotive manufacturing facilities. Um, so that's a big portion of it is similar customers for that. 
And then I have another customer that actually a friend of mine, the friend that got me into my original job, he also started his own business. Um, and we integrate automation into CNC grinders. So anything that is cylindrical that needs to get finished to a very tight tolerance, um, he kind of builds machines for that, and I help him with the electrical work on that. Okay. And then um, another customer is in the deep foundation industry, so a lot of uh, pilings and grouting and stuff like that for whether you're building a house, you know, in Colorado up on a mountain and it's all rock and you need a, a solid foundation or anything to, you know, soft ground and you really need to drill down until you get to some, you know, just some rock or just some harder foundation. So that's pretty interesting industry that I don't know a lot about because I've only done, you know, just the electrical stuff that they need me to on their uh, automated grouting machines. But yeah, pretty wide, wide range of industries for that, you know, automotive, deep foundation, construction. It's, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's that's got to really kind of play in your favor with having the experience from the mechanical and the electrical side of things to, to be able to offer um, some expertise uh, as far as that goes. Because, you know, when it comes to, I mean, I'm, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, absolutely, but like in kind of speaking in, in generalities here, you know, reading a blueprint, whether it's to build something on the automotive side or you know, not the automotive side, I guess, like a blueprint is a blueprint, right? I mean, if you, if you can read it, you can understand the tolerancing and all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's not too bad, um, to kind of jump around, uh, from in different industries. And then with the electrical, I'd imagine, you know, maybe with automotive, maybe you're working with some, some higher voltages. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but is, is that kind of how it works for you? Yeah. So different industries have different standards. Yeah. Um, a lot of the places that I've worked, been able to work for so far have been all smaller companies. So there may be a little bit more laxed with standards versus, you know, say like working directly for Ford or for GM or any bigger company like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it does, you know, change a little bit on your industries, you know, especially for uh, the, that customer that does a lot of foundation stuff, you know, that's, you know, outdoors construction, stuff like that. So it's, it's uh, a little bit rougher environments on stuff. So yeah, definitely, it definitely changes the way that, you know, you, you wire stuff and you protect stuff and how stuff gets ran. And yeah, it's, uh, it has its own art form. Yeah, no, absolutely. So which would you prefer to do build a machine or wire a panel and then wire said machine? Definitely the wiring. Side. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just what I've done more of. I mean, I have, no problem getting into, you know, machine assembly or welding or machining or anything like that. And it is nice to break it up a little bit with some of that. But really, since I branched out onto my own, I've done pretty much, I don't want to say strictly electrical, but, you know, 99% of my work has been just, you know, panel builds, cable assemblies, soldering, and, you know, running cables on machines and stuff like that. So... Have you or yeah, have you ever been interested in kind of taking that one step further and looking at like the programming side of things or, you know, the debug, uh, whether it's, you know, programming, you know, PLCs or just, you know, some basic sensors or anything like that? Have you tried to go down that path or, or thought about going down that path at all? Yeah. Um, so, again, at my previous employer, I had some experience with that with uh, Siemens PLCs and um, HMIs and programming. 
um, and also some ABB robotic stuff as well. And okay. the uh, the PLC programming is definitely uh, definitely tougher than I thought it was going to be when I got into it. So I got a <laughs> I got an appreciation for those guys definitely much more than I did than uh, before I started. But uh, no, the the robot programming that definitely piqued my interest a lot more. That's that was more down my alley, I think, because it was more hands-on. Yeah, a lot um, of the teaching was, points was, and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I really enjoyed that, and I think I'll probably pursue that a little bit maybe down the road as well. Yeah. Um, definitely the way the industry's going, you know, automation's not going away anytime soon, and robotics just seem to keep getting bigger and bigger for manufacturing process. Yeah, bigger and bigger and, and doing more and more things um, when it comes, I mean, kind of whatever the process is. Yeah, there a lot of companies are relying more on that, which is to some degree, it's unfortunate because, you know, it's probably putting people out of work, but it's also, you know, more efficient and able to build more parts, more vehicles or, you know, whatever the case is. So, right. Yeah, it really, most of the time, it just the, the reason a lot of guys are, you know, integrating robots into stuff, whether it's an assembly process or material and handling um it's really just a quality control thing and what i've seen is it's you know it almost takes more employees to you know keep up uh say a assembly cell that has a robot pushing a pin into something or anything along the lines of that you know whether it's the most simplest process like that or it's you know welding a couple different pieces of steel to a bumper or whatnot um it really takes a lot of people to keep a cell like that up and going so I definitely don't think it's necessarily taking any jobs away. Um, it's just you're going to see people having to transition into different roles in these manufacturing facilities. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to take a quick second to uh, possibly apologize to some of our listeners because I didn't realize I was going to go down the rabbit hole of talking about my former job and, and Ryan's job. And some people are probably like, what the hell are these two talking about? But no, man, I'm, I'm enjoying this. So. <laughs> So, oh yeah, absolutely, no problem. Yeah, no, and this is like I said, I haven't, I've been away from this this industry for you know three years probably now. So to be able to to talk about it, yeah, it's it's enjoyable, and I'm glad. I'm actually really glad that I did have that experience because otherwise, I feel like I probably would have been asking you some questions that were kind of leaving you scratching your head and being like, does this guy even know what the hell he's talking about right now? Like he's just making <laughs> stuff. He's just he's just fumbling his way through this. Don't worry, most of my friends and all of my family looks at me with the same look going, what does he actually do all day? <laughs> Even after I explain it to him. So. so how was it, you know, I guess during the pandemic, like I know we talked about you started in September of last year. Um, and from the way you kind of made it sound when we were talking before you started recording is that you've been just extremely busy. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um it's just there's a shortage of people that are willing to work right now. Um, whether they got laid off during the initial shutdown and they're you know still staying at home or they found a different job, um, but there's definitely a shortage of people that are out there right now. And you know some places are slow, but a lot of places are very very busy. And definitely the work is out there if you're looking for it. So now is it is it just you or do you have anyone else that uh, that works with you? Nope, it's just me as of right now. Okay. My wife helps me with some stuff uh, at home, maybe with some of the books every now and then, and um, you know, keeping me on track for uh, my schedule if I get really busy or anything like that. Um, 
but no, as far as the day-to-day operation stuff, it's just me. Yeah, no, wives are great at keeping us on track because, and especially like, like my wife handles all the financials for uh, my company as well. And she's, yeah, they're very good at making sure that uh, we stay on task. Oh man, I don't know what I would do without her. You're right? Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I just, I just kind of go, I don't want to say go through the motions, but I'm just doing things like, oh, this is just the way I'm going to do it, right? I don't have to answer anybody. And then, you know, lo and behold, I do have to answer to somebody. So <laughs> yep, yep. my wife is very, uh, very good planner. So she, yes, uh, yes. I, I could go inside right now and I could tell you, you know, at the end of the month, what we're having for dinner that night, cause it's all out on a calendar. So she's very good at planning and that, uh, that's definitely something that has helped me a lot. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. So I want to shift gears here a little bit and, and get to the outdoor side of things. So what was it that got you started in the outdoors, Ryan? Well, I actually just had this conversation with somebody about a week ago, and it kind of stumped me. Um, I definitely did not grow up hunting and fishing. Um, my dad is not into it. Um, my couple of my grandpas were into hunting a little bit, but just kind of because of you know their age and the era that they grew up in, it was just something that they did. It wasn't something they were real passionate about. Right. Um, and I think I was kind of the same way, you know, through you know, grade school and high school and everything is just, you know, well, not grade school, but, you know, high school, um, when I was able to hunt, um, and my friends hunted and everything, it's just kind of something I got into naturally because it's what my friends had done. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of fishing here and there. Um, and then really when I got out of high school, that's kind of when I started hitting it hard and diving into it a little bit more, you know, as a obsession, um, <laughs> started just, you know, whitetail hunting here in Michigan and then it just kind of slowly has progressed, you know, learning about preference points in Western states and, you know, all these different species to hunt. And it's it's definitely a rabbit hole that I went down and went down real hard. And I <laughs> love every single minute of it. You know what? I feel like there's a lot of stories that are just like yours that, you know, once it's, you know, I don't know if it's whether... They have their first, you know, close encounter in the field, whether they harvest their first animal or maybe it's just they get out there and they they see or feel, understand like the totality of, you know, being outdoors and being, you know, kind of in the, you know, uh, the animal's element being in, in, in their in their house, so to speak. Um, and it just it's a game changer for a lot of people. And when you realize that there's, you know, a lot more out there than just white tailed deer. Um, and all the other big game, uh, yeah, it's it's a rabbit hole that you can get deep in very quickly. Yeah, I was in uh, Wyoming last year, this past fall, and elk hunting, and that just that just set me on fire for <laughs> for backpack hunting and running around in the mountains and stuff. So you know, it's only been you know a one week trip so far in my life, but there's definitely uh, definitely going to be a lot more of that in the future. Yeah. So you're from west side of the state, correct? Yes. Yep. Just south of Grand Rapids. Okay. That's what I thought. Now, do you spend most of your time like in that area hunting or are you, you know, heading up north heading? I know you said you did a, a bear hunt in the UP. So where are you doing a lot of your uh, recreating at? Mostly around here. Yeah. Um, I got some property out behind my house and I live just a half mile up the road from my in-laws dairy farm. So I uh, got some property there that I can hunt. Um, 
spent some time up north, about two hours north of here around the Cadillac area. I've done some hunting there, and my dad and his friends, well, my dad doesn't hunt, but he likes to go up to the UP just for a tradition type thing with his friends that do hunt. Yeah. Um, so I've been up there with them a couple times, over way in the west end of the UP, actually, pretty close to where I did my bear hunt around um, Lake Gogebeck. You familiar with that area? I am, yep. Yeah, yep. So I spent a lot of time over there, and then... Uh, Spent some time up in Canada bear hunting, never successfully, but it is a, it is a beautiful place to go and sit in the woods. It's quiet. The amount of stars that come out at night in a place like that where there's no light pollution will totally change your world if, you know, somebody hasn't experienced that. Yeah, so I've, I've not uh, spent any time in Canada uh, bear hunting or, or hunting in general, but I have, I have done a, a decent amount of fishing, at least in my youth um, in Canada. Um, in Ontario, north of the Sioux, maybe three or four hours. Uh, I think it was that far. I don't know. When you're young, everything feels like it takes forever to get to, especially yeah, when you're yeah. not able to drive. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was just a different uh, atmosphere, a different vibe when you're out there. And yeah, like where we were, I had a, a friend who had uh, a cabin uh, on a lake that was only accessible by a float plane. Um, or, uh, like this old logging road, uh, if you could drive back to it. Um, so we would literally have to park and take like a, an hour long ride on four wheelers, um, in order to get back to their cabin. you know, there's, there's no electricity, there's no, you know, real running water. So you're taking, you know, your showers in a very cold Canadian lake. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's awesome up there. Yep. Sounds very similar to, uh, the place we stayed at. Yeah. So are you spending a majority of your time in the outdoors now uh, just chasing whitetail? Yeah, I would say so. You know, the uh, the research and the time that I spend looking into Western hunting stuff, it doesn't feel like it, but the <laughs> majority of the time that I actually spend outdoors as far as pursuing pursuing an animal, yeah, it would, it would, it would be whitetails around here for sure. And it's, you know... There's a lot to learn there too. I mean, it just it keeps you coming back every year, and the different experiences that you have, even just in your own backyard, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I I could not agree more. So I think that you're the first company of its kind uh, in terms of uh, like the space that you guys operate in um, to become two percent certified. So how was it that you learned about two percent for conservation? Um. If I had to, I don't know off the top of my head, but if I had to guess, it would probably be either from Jeff Spacito or something that Stone Glacier had shared. Um, yeah. I'd been following them for quite a few years now and um, have a couple of their packs and I've been looking at some other gear that they started to offer now. Um, so I would, I would guess it's probably through them if I had to, if I had to guess. So what was it that made made you um, decide to become certified? Um, probably the idea of potentially growing in the future and taking on employees. Um, I would love to see employees get, you know, involved in the outdoors. And really, I had never done any volunteering before in my life for, for, for almost anything. Um, so... The idea of being, you know, held accountable for the one percent of time to volunteer your service, and somebody actually asking you and keeping up with you every year, like, "Hey, how are you doing? Hey, what have you been spending your time on? 
and seeing all these other businesses and people that are doing the same thing to give me different ideas for how to spend my time. That really, really appealed to me. Um, just somebody holding you accountable because it's so easy to get relaxed about it and, you know, or to get hyped up about it. And then, Oh, okay. Yep. The fun kind of fades away. And then <laughs> people just get relaxed and they, they, they won't, they don't follow through with it. So to be held accountable for something like that and, you know, constantly be seeing all these different companies and people doing all this awesome stuff for conservation. It just kind of keeps that fire going in you. Yeah. And one of the things that I've, I've talked about in, in past episodes is, is how cool and how diverse the, um, the pool of companies is, um, within the 2% umbrella. Uh, I mean, you know, automation companies, you know, there's obviously plenty of, of companies that, you know, operate directly in the outdoor space but there's also i feel like probably just as many that don't right but uh whether it's the employees uh the the ownership of the company they they love the outdoors and and they're you know taking it upon themselves to make that commitment to to give back to wildlife and you know i i just love to see the the variety of companies uh that become certified absolutely and it kind of you know I'm not involved directly with any manufacturing for outdoor products, but there's a lot of manufacturing for outdoor products in this state. You know, there's Prime Archery, uh, G5 Broadhead, which are kind of the same company, but, um, you know, Bear Archery used to be here, maybe still has some stuff here. Um, There's Rapid River Knives up in the UP. You know, there's there's a a lot of bigger companies that have manufacturing facilities here that you know, you can, I would love to get involved with them someday, but, uh, it kind of broadens the, the, you know, the companies that I'm looking at for business too. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, I mean, I feel like the fact that you have become 2% certified without any, I guess, you know, previous relationships with people in the outdoor industry, um, you know, that's, that should be incentive for, you know, companies like that, that are already, or that are, dealing in directly in that space to want to, you know, work with another company that's, that's giving back to conservation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would be, I think it would be awesome to be able to get involved in, you know, the manufacturing and different stuff like that for this, you know, the things I'm passionate about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would be really cool to experience that someday. Yeah. Well, it gives you something to work for um, if the automotive and, and that side of things ever slowed down at all, which doesn't seem like they're going to because it seems like no one can buy a, a pickup truck right now because there's no inventory anywhere. Yeah. Oh, man, that's crazy. That's crazy business right there. And and really, even when some of the uh, you know big auto manufacturers were shut down last year and maybe that industry took a little bit of a dive for a while look how much outdoors blew up. I mean, oh, yeah. oh my, oh my goodness. The amount of new hunters and anglers and just people getting outside last year was insane. Yeah. And with, you know, I, I had Jared Frazier, the executive director of 2% on, uh, maybe three weeks ago, uh, for our anniversary episode. And he was saying that, you know, over the course of 2020, despite, you know, what seemed like everything across the country being shut down, they doubled in size uh, in terms of the number of um, new two percent uh, new companies that became two percent certified, so and he he said that it was you know outdoor companies uh, and non outdoor companies alike that that all became certified. So 
you know, there's definitely um, some good from the conservation side of things that came out of, of 2020. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So what are some of the, the organizations uh, that you're giving back to? Um, so one of them is the Western Bear Foundation. That was kind of the first one that I had, that was like a new one for me when I got involved with 2%. Um, I, when I went on my bear hunt this past fall, I just fell head over heel in love with bear hunting. Um, I didn't, you know, do it traditionally, like probably most Western guys do a spot and stock. I, I ran hounds up in the UP and that was something I had never experienced before. And let me tell you what, if you have never done that or have never experienced it, I highly recommend it. It is just an awesome, awesome tradition that, you know, not very many people know about or have experienced. Um, but because of the, you know, the whole bear hunting, I kind of looked into other conservation groups that are, you know, in the bear hunting scene and they were one of the first ones that came up. So I kind of, you know, looked into them a little bit and I, you know, I like what they're doing and, you know, they, they're really good about keeping members updated on what they're doing and, you know, upcoming projects. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's a way for me to learn more too, you know, being fairly new to this whole conservation side of the outdoors. Um, it's, it's a good way for, you know, people getting into it like this to, to learn more about specifics, whether it's, you know, the Western Bear Foundation or the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or any other, you know, foundation or association that you want to be a part of that piques your interest. It's, it's, a, it's a good way for you know, newbies, I guess you could say, to, to learn more about it. No, and that's a great approach to take to it. Uh, to yeah, to to take when when deciding the types of organizations that you want to give back, whether it's your time, your your money, um, or or potentially both. You know, when you know you have a bear hunt, you experience the bear hunt, and and yeah, in Michigan, I mean, that's kind of the way it's done for the most part. Is is with dogs, uh, but no, I have not had a chance to do that. But the fact that you know you went on a bear hunt. And you just had this amazing experience and this newfound like love and appreciation for, you know, bear itself. And then you're like, okay, this is something that I want to get involved with. And then, you know, you did your due diligence in, in looking at the organization, finding out what they were about, you know, the stuff that they were working on, which to me is, is, is very important uh, when it comes to, to choosing some organizations that you want to support is, is fully understanding you know, what type of work that they're doing. Uh, and then like you mentioned with them keeping you up to date and always kind of in the know of, of what they're working on. Uh, I think that goes a long way with, uh, with membership, but then also the point that you made about, it's just, it's a way for you to learn more, uh, about the species, um, you know, possibly, you know, different ways to hunt them, you know, how population are in different parts of the country or, you know, perhaps even up in Canada. Uh, I don't know if they're, if uh, they reach all the way up there or not, but that's a, a great approach um, when it comes to wanting to get back and, and learn more about the species uh, specifically. Yeah. So really the, there's three main organizations that I support. It's BHA, Western Bear Foundation and Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And I would definitely would like to get more involved in smaller local organizations. And I've um, already kind of started with that um, with a local sportsman's club. Um, as far as getting a membership and then volunteering, I actually just got a package in the mail today for, uh, to get certified as a hunter safety instructor at the local sportsman's club. So I'll be, I'll be working on that and that's going to be a good way for me to, you know, spend some of my time volunteering. Um, my wife's family did not grow up hunting. So that's been 
kind of an easy way for me to get into you know a mentorship role for people that are that want to get into hunting you know all younger her younger siblings that look up to me and the things that I do that they don't do and thinking oh wow that's that's so cool I've never looked at you know the deer that run through my backfield I've never looked at them the way that you know you look at them and it's just a good way to um to spend your time you know the hunter safety instructors out there they're a lot of them aren't, none of them are getting any younger and the, the average age is, I think somewhere in the, in the fifties. So okay. there definitely needs to be, you know, some more people getting into, you know, hunter education. I, I completely agree with that. And I think you're maybe the third person that I've spoke to that has had some involvement or will have some involvement, um, from the, on the hunter safety side of things, which I think is just awesome because you're able to, I mean, I, you know, I took hunter safety when I was you know, 12 years old, whatever the age is that you can really take it 12, 13, somewhere in that range. Um, and there's certain things that I absolutely remember about it, you know, and I don't know if it was just because I took it with my buddies. We were, you know, in, in a different location than where we normally were. The fact that we got to shoot guns at a young age, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I certainly have memories of that. And I think that if you can find, or if there are instructors, like you just said, that are, are younger, that I feel like can be, a, can relate a bit more to the younger generation and to um, a new wave of conservationists and outdoorsmen and outdoors women. I think that's what we need to help, you know, kind of usher in this, this new generation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely intimidating, you know, to get into something like that. I, uh, it'll probably be, you know, a lot of learning on my part too. I mean, there's probably, probably things that I'll go through in my training and stuff that I don't remember from hunter safety that, you know, it's things that you have to learn yeah. that you maybe don't necessarily, you know, see after you're done with the class, you know, if it doesn't apply to the stuff that you're exactly doing, but as an instructor, you need to, you know, teach all these kids, you know, the whole, you know, the realm of everything that they could possibly run into out there. Yeah. And the people, the other people that I've spoken to have, have said that it's one of like the best things that they do, uh, in terms of, you know, the outdoor and conservation world is, is to being able to, is being able to, to mentor the youth and expose people to, you know, like you said, with your family, expose them and have them see the, see, you know, the outdoors through a different set of eyes and give them a different perspective and I think, you know, the mentoring side of it is, is so awesome. And, you know, I wish some of my friends would want to kind of take that next step. And I mean, I've got a few of them into fly fishing, um, which is, you know, it's, it's a lot easier, uh, especially catch and release. You don't have to worry about your harvest, but I would love, and I always, you know, they're always asking me every year, you know, oh, did you get a deer this year? Yeah. Anything like that. And, you know, and I, I go into this big, long story, like, like every, you know, outdoorsmen and outdoors women do, you know, everything's got a story. Um, but I, I would love to just have them just like come sit in a tree for, for a day. Right. And just see, you know, kind of how the mother nature, how the world works when, you know, everything else is kind of shut off and you're just immersed in nature. Yeah. When you spend your first nice, sunny morning in a tree stand and you just watch the whole world wake up around you that is a different feeling that you cannot get anywhere else yeah you know someone had asked me or maybe someone i, I don't know but i remember 
So my favorite part about you know hunting and like I said, I, I I'm like you. I, I've not had the opportunity to to take any trips out west and, and pursue big game out there, but I've been hunting whitetails for for quite a while. It feels like. And my favorite part of of sitting in a tree stand is you know that last half hour to forty five minutes of, of of the day, and not just because that's when you know deer tend to be active or, or more active. It's just everything kind of shuts down, right? Like the birds get a little bit quieter. You know, the wind kind of for whatever reason just seems to usually calm down, and your senses are just you know ultra heightened. And I mean, you, you, I swear you can see a field mouse at 85 yards, which I know is not the case, <laughs> but you just, you, you feel like freaking Spider-Man there. Like everything's just tingling and you're just, it's incredible to see and feel everything when, when everything's kind of, you know, the opposite of what you said of, of waking up when everything's kind of, you know, going to bed, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the beautiful creation out there that we are very blessed to be able to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that by more and more companies becoming 2% certified and putting an emphasis on conservation, you know, we're going to be able to to hopefully and potentially enjoy those things for, you know, well past uh our prime hunting years. Absolutely. That's uh that should be everybody's goal and, and if you have friends that are not in, you know, the conservation side of things, if I mean yeah, your money from your hunting license that goes towards conservation and, you know, anything else that you might buy for it. But if you're not, you know, involved in it, like I used to not be involved in it at all, man, it's, you know, it's rewarding just to, just to learn more about it and see what kind of good you can do. Yeah. And also I liked when you had said earlier about getting involved more with uh, some more like local organizations. And I've done the same thing uh, here in Michigan is finding, um, you know, people, conservation organizations that are doing work that will have some type of or likely have some type of direct impact on the things that I like to do here in Michigan. You know, while, you know, like uh, organizations like, you know, like RMEF, I mean, yes, we have elk in Michigan and we can elk hunt. The likelihood of either of us getting the chance to do that is, is pretty slim here in Michigan. Yeah. But, you know, like, it just they're doing things that that I can see like a, a tangible um, difference made. So I I I like to support you know organizations that are you know having a direct impact on on what I'm spending a lot of my time doing. So yeah, that's that's a good a good avenue to take. Yeah, it's you know a little bit more rewarding than just you know everybody can go to a RMEF or. A, safari club banquet and have a ton of fun and give money to you know a good cause and yeah that's great that's that definitely can be a part of what you do but man yeah the local stuff is definitely where my uh, that's piquing my interest a lot more yeah yeah and yeah that's 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 awesome so do you have i guess like any big trips i know you said last year you did your first uh western hunt do you have anything planned uh this year uh, not on the docket yet. We had talked about maybe me and some buddies going back to Wyoming to do a, a cow elk hunt there again. Um, not sure if that'll happen or not. It's kind of up in the air yet. Um, so I'm actually going to Alaska for a mission trip this summer. So that's going to take a lot of my, a lot of my time that I'm going to take off is going to go towards that. And, uh, another one of my 
regular hunting partners. He, uh, him and his wife are having a baby here any day. So uh-huh. having a, having a newborn and, um, me taking a bunch of other time off this summer. I don't know if any, any big trips are going to happen. We're actually getting together later on this week to, to figure that out just with, you know, draw results coming out and, you know, leftover tags getting posted and everything like that. We'll have to make a quick decision if we're going to do something, but if not, we'll enjoy, enjoy some whitetail hunting here and maybe try to spend a, an extra couple days every now and then or a long weekend, maybe up North or something like that. Yeah, there you go. No, that's, that's a good approach to take, especially if, uh, if you kind of have the flexibility. I mean, you know, I know you said you've been crazy busy, um, since starting, um, no automation, but you know, luckily you know the boss. So if you need some time off, hopefully you can take it. I don't know. He's a stickler lately. <laughs> he's been pushing me pretty hard. Oh um, man. <laughs> how about you? You got anything fun coming up this fall? You know, I, I, it feels like whenever I ask someone that question, they always throw it right back at me. And I always want to have like this cool, like hunt that I have planned, but sadly I do not. Um, uh, my wife and I, we have two young kids, uh, four and two. So it's, uh, it's a handful. Um, like if I'm just gone for a weekend, let alone, you know, 10 days. Um, so I feel like, you know, some of those Western trips are probably another year or two out before everything is kind of on the up and up, uh, in terms of the kids being a bit more self-sufficient. Um, my son not trying to headbutt everything in the house. Uh, when he's running around, so um, I wish I wish I were, um, but there there's there's still plenty of time. Now it's another year to spend a copious amount of hours on go hunt and getting ready for another trip in the future. Yeah, exactly. Seeing seeing uh, you know which states have the best odds for me to shoot uh, well anything. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it uh, it's fun. Just just get out and go. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular. Just Go do an over-the-counter deer hunt or uh, over-the-counter antelope hunt, and it's you'll have a blast. Yeah, and I and you know, thankfully, I, I have some friends um, that are in Colorado that he's been asking me to come out uh, and hunt mule deer with him for the last few years, uh, and just have not been able to obviously make it happen. But I feel like I would at least uh, not be starting from scratch if I went out there and, and tried my hand at that. So I'm I'm like cautiously optimistic that, you know, I'll have a good experience. I, it, I guess in, in that regard, whenever I, I am able to make it out there. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's a big, have a big leg up on what most people are going at. Yeah. And he's been successful the last gosh, three years, I think maybe. So he, he feels wow. like he's starting to kind of get the hang of it. I mean, he's, he's a Michigan guy as well. Moved out there, uh, probably like seven or eight years ago. And, was never a hunter and he gets out there and he just starts living that Colorado lifestyle. And yeah, he's big into archery now and just bought himself a rifle. So he's gonna, he's like, ah, now I get to extend my season a little bit. So yeah, he, he's, uh, he's all in out there. That's awesome. That sounds very tempting. Uh, me and my wife have talked about moving west before to, you know, she's grew up on a farm. So she really likes the idea of, you know, a ranch life. And yeah. I like the, the idea of, being able to, you know, take off into the mountains an hour away from my house to go elk hunting or deer hunting or whatever it may be. And I don't know, family's here, work's here, and there is good hunting and fishing here too. So that is true. That is very true. Michigan, I feel like, uh, is, is very underrated, uh, in terms of just overall hunting and fishing because there's 
so much opportunity to do it that, uh, yeah, I mean, I never get tired of it. No, it's just the, the amount of different species we have, whether you're a fisherman or a hunter, it's awesome. I mean, we have maybe not the best, you know, caliber of deer if you're just a whitetail hunter, or maybe not the best odds of uh, drawing a tag if you're a, a big elk hunter or anything like that, but uh, we definitely have an opportunity for almost everything here, everything besides moose, and yeah. they're here, so I'm crossing my fingers for that someday. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, Ryan, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time and, and making your schedule work um, today. I really enjoyed getting to hear more about Noel Automation and kind of your story that um, led you to not only uh, owning your own business, but also becoming 2% certified and, and the work that you're, you know, planning to do with conservation and, and everything like that. So, uh, no, man, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, take care of yourself and uh, I'll probably be checking in at some point here to see if you're heading west and uh, see how your whitetail season's going. Awesome. Sounds good. I'll keep in touch. All right. Take care, man. You bet. Bye. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you again to Ryan for joining me on the podcast this week. Uh, I would like to thank the partners of the podcast, Wild Rivers Coffee, uh, Stone Glacier, and Go Hunt, as well as 2% for Conservation. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you to follow 2% on social media, where it's going to be only positive conservation-driven content in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Uh, remember, stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you. Uh-huh.